0: Global SEO Week on the Voices of Search podcast. And this week, we're talking to five superstar SEOs about their strategies for planning, launching, and optimizing global properties for organic growth. Joining us today is Eli Schwartz, who is a growth advisor helping B2B and B2C companies scale their SEO visibility. Eli has helped companies including Shutterstock, Zendex, Quora, and G2 Crowd tackle their SEO challenges and accelerate their online growth. Previously, Eli spent six-plus years managing SurveyMonkey's global SEO team's strategy and implementation across their entire brand portfolio. And today, Eli's going to talk us through some of his strategies for managing high-profile SEO properties across multiple countries. this podcast is also sponsored by Ahrefs. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health backlinks and organic rankings at no costs? Sounds too good to be true? Well, it's not. Okay, here's my conversation with growth advisor, Eli Schwartz. Eli, welcome to the Voices of Search podcast. Hey, man, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to finally get you on the show. And I'm excited to hear about some of the growth in your career. You've uh, recently branched out on your own. So let's get a little background on you. Tell our listeners about you know what you've been up to and what you're doing today.
1: I've been in SEO probably for about fourteen years, ten of which was at in-house at larger companies. And one of the things I've always liked is uh, seeing how different companies are doing things. And you know, it first started with people sharing their Google analytics with me, and then sharing their SEO problems. And this is you know many many years ago, and then asking me to consult. And it's one of the things that I've always loved the most in my career, which is you know seeing different problems. When you're working in-house, you you have company problems and culture problems and, you know, long roadmaps of things you need to get done when you're consulting. It's, you know, really like, how can you solve a specific problem? And it's something I've always loved. And I finally decided to follow that passion and start working with, you know, for now, just a few handpicked companies and helping them really magnify the organic visibility and help them to overcome their specific challenges they're having or, or we get to that next level. And you know, I've been doing it for a couple months now and it's really fascinating. And I, I, you know, I love the challenge, uh, the new challenge of different things I haven't seen before and helping them figure out how to expand beyond what they're trying to do.
0: It's absolutely a different ball game running an independent business. And I, I hear what you're saying in terms of getting reps and being exposed to multiple companies and understanding what their business problems are as opposed to some of the cultural and in-house problems. Uh, one thing that I noticed is that you have a, a wide variety of experience across multiple different types of businesses. We mentioned that you worked at Quora, B2C content business, G2 Crowds, more B2B in content, but also in-house at an e-commerce company and then uh, you know what we call, a, I guess, a SaaS product in SurveyMonkey. Talk to me a little bit about how you think, having worked in a wide variety of different industries and different types of companies, how do you think about globalization and what's your strategy for figuring out what locations each property should be in?
1: So, it's an interesting question. You know, I, if, I've stumbled into international SEO and global SEO while I was at SurveyMonkey because they, they had an international product, they had customers all over the entire world, and the site was itself translated to 17 different languages and they accepted currency from people all over the world. So they they wanted to gather those customers and acquire customers from different parts of the world. And I started learning international SEO from that. But I would say, you know, this is a skill I really tried to hone and I had the opportunity to hone. And I thought it would be something that every company would eventually want to start doing. And I'd say I've been pretty disappointed that most American companies really want to focus on an American customer. And when they talk about going global, it's going to Canada. and They're not really... They don't have to do much other than accept Canadian currency or or maybe ship something to Canada. And maybe if they really want to get crazy, they might do Mexico and they might do Spanish. But that's you know, a little bit more complex for them. The banking is a little bit more complex. But uh, you know, I, I really did think that there was going to eventually be a huge audience. And I think it's the strength of like, the American economy. And as, you know, Eventually, our economy, the tech economy won't be as strong. And I do think that's when people need to start looking international. And the time to prepare for that was a long time ago.
0: So it's one of the things Jordan Cooney, Search Metrics's CEO, and I talked about uh, earlier in this month. When we started talking about globalization and expanding to different geographies, uh, there's really two approaches. There's expanding your existing site to be able to have content, but not necessarily changing your business offering. And then there's really setting up multiple different sites. When you are working at SurveyMonkey or when you've done internationalization for some of your consulting clients do you tend to lean on trying to extend the existing property you have or are you actually creating different TLDs?
1: So I think the, the advice and, and the best practices around that has changed. So when I was at SurveyMonkey, we were expanding internationally. So first they had subdomains and we wanted to move that into TLDs, top-level domains, like uh, from a .com to a .co.uk. And the advice and best practices at the time was to do that because the global consumer care. So a UK consumer cared if it was .co.uk or a US consumer cared if it was .com and they were not necessarily going to shop on .co.uk. I think that has changed in the last few years. And one of the things that's driving that is mobile first. So when you think mobile first, obviously the results are you're building something for mobile and the results are showing up on a mobile screen. Google actually doesn't show the domain at all. So that domain wouldn't necessarily play into a buying decision. So I think... If we're doing things for consumers because we want them to see it, we shouldn't bother with a domain because it is definitely more complex from a, an SEO standpoint. You're taking, let's say you have a .com. Now you have to make a brand new .co.uk for UK or .ca for Canada. And you want to make sure you get all your rankings and you know, there's all sorts of hreflang considerations, there's migration considerations, there's redirect considerations, and certainly risk. And if the consumer doesn't care, I wouldn't bother going down that risk at all, and I'm not even sure Google cares because the consumer doesn't
0: care. So talk to me about your playbook. When you decide you're going to expand internationally, you know, you make the decision first whether you're going to be creating a subdomain or whether you're actually changing the top-level domain. What's the process that you go through once you made your decision which direction to head? You mentioned things like migration, You know, you're, you're setting your language. What are some of the other things that you're considering and what's the order of operations?
1: So the, the first thing that you have to do is really identify which country you're going to go after. There's, uh, let's say, 180 countries in the world. Are you going to go after a completely different culture? Or are you an American company and now you want to go after, say, Mexico? That's a different culture and a different language. Do you want to go after Canada, which is very, very similar? Or do you want to go after the UK, which is a completely different culture, but a very similar language? So you've identified that, and then from there you need to decide what are the things that you need to do. So, say you're going after Canada; it's very possible the only thing you need to do there is make sure you accept Canadian currency, comply with Canadian laws around Can Spam. They have their own version of Can Spam, and then have a privacy policy that encompasses Canada. Now, you want to go to the UK. For now, the UK is part of the EU, so you want to make sure you comply with a you know GDPR, of course, and in, in European laws. And then you the next thing you want to do from an SEO standpoint is determine whether your content is appropriate and the keywords you're using are appropriate for a UK audience. British people have different ways of referring to things that in American English we don't. And obviously, because they refer to things differently than us, they're going to search differently. And it's not really those little nuances around do they use an S or a Z for localization or optimization. It's really nuances of like, are they even going to search for the concept of localization? we may in the U.S. or in American English search for that concept of localization. And in the U.K., they're not going to. So it's, it's determining the keywords. And if you get, if they're different keywords, then maybe you need different pages.
0: So some of the things that you mentioned is, first off, you need to have a sense of what the regulatory environment is like. What are the resources that you're going to to understand the regulation for a given country? I'm sure there's nuance depending on where you're expanding. What's the best way to figure out what's going to get you into trouble and what you can get away with?
1: A lot of Googling. I mean, luckily, I think the regulations are pretty standardized. I think, you know, for now the UK is a part of the EU. So there's just European law. Canada's a little different, but just a lot of Googling to figure out what laws you need to comply with. If you're using any services, most of them will, you know, force you to comply with those laws using MailChimp. You know, MailChimp will want to make sure that you comply with the Canadian law and American law and GDPR. But I don't know that there's one perfect resource. Unfortunately, the best resources are going to be government homepages, and they're usually not great about informing the uninformed about what you really need to
0: do. So you have to do your homework. There's a fair amount of research, and this is one of the reasons why working with somebody who's done a fair amount of internationalization, if you're doing this for the first time, getting an advisor might be a good idea. Talk to me about the keyword research. You You mentioned that there are some language changes, even when you're not changing the underlying language, when you're not going from English to Spanish. Uh, the example you used was, you know, in in the United Kingdom, you know, some of the words are different even though you're still in English. My favorite example is the term pants. From my understanding, the word pants is the equivalent of underpants here in the United States. So if you're trying to sell pants, you should probably be saying something like knickers. I'm sure maybe I'm Exactly. I might be flipping those words around, but there is some sort of, you know, different way that they are using a very Standard term here in the United States, there's language changes. How are you figuring out what those keywords should be and and how are you avoiding getting yourself into trouble with uh, some same language changes?
1: So yeah, there's a great example for the UK. So the first thing is really, and I do this in any language, look at the competitors, see what the competitors are using, go to a competitor's homepage and look at what they have in their navigation because that's usually going to be the most important words and they're giving away essentially their keywords in that language. So if they're selling clothes... They're not going to use the word pants. If they're referring to knickers, they're going to say knickers. That would be your first giveaway. And you know the problem with doing just straight keyword research is you can go to obviously Google Keyword Planner, you can go to any other keyword tool using search metrics, of course, and you can put in English word and put in the language, but they may not necessarily pick up that when you said pants, you want to know what it is that people in that country wear. I guess... <laughs> Uh, that are, are long, that cover their legs.
0: Yeah, over their naked body or under the second layer.
1: Exactly. So that's where I find that you first look at the competitors. And one of my favorite websites to look at these ideas is Wikipedia. So, like, what are the cross links that Wikipedia has that are not necessarily applicable for English? But if you go to another language, what are the cross links that Wikipedia is recommending other pages? So now you know the different, I guess, entities or objects that are surrounding the topic you're looking for. I don't know that'd be so helpful in English because English is just English and I I think they'll maybe they'll reference that pants is something in one country and pants is something in another country but yeah definitely looking at other websites before I do actual keyword research
0: time for a one minute break to hear from our sponsor previsible so you're looking for SEO help and you got a couple of options you could start replying to spam from agencies that claim they can get you to rank number one on google That's previsible, P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E dot I-O. So talk to me once you've figured out what your country is going to be, you understand the regulation, and you have your set of keywords. What's the process for building the site? What are some of the other considerations you go through? So
1: you want to create a new directory on your site. So if you're creating a different country, so say you're an American website and now you want to target the U.K., I would create a slash UK where we're throwing out the concept of doing a subdomain. We're definitely not going to do a TLD either. That's really expensive and complicated. You may want to do a TLD if there's a completely different product or regulatory environment, if you're like a bank. So maybe you want to have a different UK bank website and you don't want to just localize your American bank website. But if you're... An e commerce website or you're you know, a SaaS product, there's probably no reason to even think about the TLD because it's not going to offer you any SEO benefits. So you want to create a subdirectory and you want your subdirectory to be very clear that it's targeting one country. And you either need to do two letter ISO codes or three letter ISO codes. So a two letter ISO code for the UK would either be GB or UK. And the reason you want to do that and not make up one, like for the UK, you don't want to do. Um, I don't know, unkin for United Kingdom, like a shortened United Kingdom is because Google doesn't know that that is referring to the the UK. So you want to do what they know is referring to the UK. I think for another three letter code for the UK is you can, or the three letter version is eng for England. So you're creating this new directory. Users sort of understand it. If they're in that country, Google understands it and they know that that content is localized to them. If you're doing something in another language, same idea. But now you want to do language and country. So say you're doing Spanish, and Spanish is spoken by Spain and Latin America in very, very different ways. And if you're targeting a country, say you're targeting Mexico, and you want to do two-letter ISO code, so ES for Espanol, not uh, something made up like S-P-A-N, and then you want to do the two-letter ISO code for the language. So ES-MX for Mexico or ESPE for Peru. So you're really defining where your content is and what that audience should be. And then as Google crawls it, they're going to see Spanish. No real way to make it perfect. But ideally, an English user should not be ending up from Google on that page.
0: What do you do when you have multiple different languages for the same country?
1: Same idea. So that's why you want to have that country folder. So it depends whether country or language is more important to you. So if language is more important to you, you want to have ES slash MX. So then you're, you have this entire bucket of Spanish languages. If countries are more important to you and you're trying say your e-commerce and you're shipping, and it doesn't matter what language they speak, but you're shipping to the UK or you're shipping... Or better examples, actually, you're shipping to Switzerland where they speak three languages. So here's your e-commerce page for Switzerland. And now you as a user can choose whether you're looking at the German, the French, or the Italian. So it really depends on your, your hierarchy for your actual company rather than the hierarchy for
0: SEF. Once you have your site internationalized and you have your keywords created, your content's been translated appropriately, you're marking all your content for what language and what country it is, and you've published everything. Talk to me about the process of optimization. How are you thinking about optimization? And how are you not getting buried having tripled your site when you launch for two other languages? Let's be
1: clear, you are getting buried. I mean, that's one of the things that I've always had a challenge with is that you created a whole new entity you now need a monitor and it's a whole bunch more work so you will be buried and that's where you're just gonna have to do a lot more work and create more processes. Dashboards are great so something Google analytics would be great where it's a dashboard of your review. One other plug for wanting to do a subdirectory versus a subdomain or a actual TLD is if you do a, a, a subdirectory it's the same domain so you' you only have one analytics account you're logging into and you can create a dashboard out of it whereas if you had a different domain, or a different subdomain, that's a whole different property, harder to have in the same dashboard. So you're probably going to be buried. But what you want to get into, and actually we skipped the step, the optimization piece, very important that you use a local. So I wouldn't do rely on the keyword research you're doing for the UK that you did on your own and assume you got everything. Have a British person, ideally someone that recently lived in the UK so they can catch all the slang. Just look it over or write it for you. If you're doing it in another language, you, you know, let's say you're doing German, have a, a native German speaker look over your content or help you with your content. Not someone who's just learned German in college or knows German because their parents spoke German. You want that native speaker to help you. So now you've created that content, you've optimized the content. The way you're going to like continue to optimize and iterate on it is you know if you're ranking. You want it to rank on... Uh, we want to rank on a specific product. We want to rank on pants or knickers. In the UK, I'm usually not a fan of monitoring keywords, but I would do some manual searches or you know set up some keyword ranking monitoring and see if you're showing up in the top 50 for Knickers. If you're not in the top 50 for Knickers, you've done something wrong. So that would be the first step. You may not get to number one, but you definitely want to be making progress towards where you could rank. If you're not making progress, something broke down.
0: As you think about going through the optimization strategy and you're debating whether you should be expanding into new geographies, you know, you mentioned that, you know, build your dashboards and try to understand the workload that's going to happen. What have you done to manage the influx of incremental work and other than combining your dashboards, you know, it seems like you're doubling the amount of effort that you have to put in every time you launch another language how are you doing that while keeping the scope of your work reasonable and also you know what are you doing to not get distracted from the core business
1: i'd say that's a, a very difficult challenge that's where people bring in consultants or hire more people to their team yeah the mistake that many sites or companies will make is think that it's not doubling the scope of their work if you've added another language you know you've expanded your audience whether a product audience or just a readership audience to another country especially if that other country is speaking another language, you have absolutely doubled the scope of your work. And it's likely that you're not going to be able to do the same level of, of work on both of these entities that you were doing before. You're splitting focus. So I would uh, you know, encourage people to hire a consultant, hire more people on their team, or get more resources that will, will help monitor things. What people will do wrong here is that they will sort of not do that. And then the quality of their original countries, likely the, you know, the audience here is gonna be focused on the US. So likely the original country will suffer. Or if it doesn't, the expansion country or expansion countries will not get the focus they deserve.
0: Talk to me about some of the challenges you've faced, you know, whether it be at SurveyMonkey or or any of the other companies that you've worked for in-house prioritizing international expansion as opposed to some of your other efforts that are more domestically focused?
1: I'd say that goes back to my earlier point on whether there's a global focus by US companies. So the, the challenge is that there could be so much low-hanging fruit when it comes to other countries, but it will usually be under-resourced because it, it won't be as important. That other country or the, kind of, the entire concept of international may not be as important as the domestic audience. So that's probably the biggest one is that you've put the work in, you see so much opportunity, There's things that need to be fixed. Maybe it's website hierarchy, maybe it's content, maybe it's the need to expand. And this may fall on deaf ears because it's just not a focus right now for the broader company. And it should be because when it's time to go international, say, you know, hopefully this never happens in our lifetimes, but, you know, the recession will come. When the recession comes and suddenly Europe is doing better than the U.S. and companies want to be focused on Europe... You can't do SEO overnight, so that's you know why it helps to have done it. Be ready for it. Maybe not necessarily be selling to the audience, but as soon as the audience is there, you are ranking.
0: Last question for you: As you think about the global audience in SEO? You mentioned that it's great to have somebody in local market doing some of your keyword research. How do you feel about you know hiring your SEO team locally here in the United States? Or should you be branching out and actually hiring satellite offices and people that are going to live in market to do this work? What's your thought on you know, building the team locally as opposed to a a global team?
1: So I've worked with international SEOs that don't speak any other languages. And I I don't think their location or their language abilities is the biggest barrier to success. It's really their talent. So wherever there's a talented person with SEO and creative skills around digital marketing... That's the person you want on your team, wherever they are, whether they be here or whether they be in a European office or another global office or just located somewhere else working remote. I think most important is their SEO skills. Second is their ability to understand the language. If they don't understand the language, they can find someone who can just read and write. That's really all you need is someone that reads and writes and knows the local language.
0: Okay. Any other last tidbits of advice for people that are thinking about global SEO or how you can manage a global SEO team?
1: Yeah I think that when it, the most important piece of global SEO is that it really just is SEO and it it's matching keywords and I personally think that the international search landscape isn't as complex as the English one just because Google's putting more resources into English so whereas in English you have to be so you have to watch for intent and make sure your keywords are not just relevant for a match of what someone would be searching but relevant to the intent of what a user searching When it comes to international, I don't find that the synonym matching is as good. So it becomes even more critical to make sure using the exact word. So you know, English was a bad example. We were talking about pants versus knickers. But in German, whatever that difference is, if you don't use knickers, there's not going to be a synonym matching for pants. So the keywords become absolutely critical.
0: Okay. Well, Eli, let me just say, we appreciate you giving us the advice. It's great to have you as part of our... Global SEO Month. Congratulations on branching out on your own. And uh, thank you for being our guest. Great. Thanks
1: for letting me be here and share my, my thoughts on my uh, international SEO.
0: Okay. All right. That wraps up this episode of Global SEO Week on the Voices of Search podcast. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Global Growth Advisor, Eli Schwartz. We'd love to continue this conversation with you. So if you're interested in contacting Eli, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is 5LE, that's the number 5, the letter L and the letter E. Or you can contact him through his website, which is elishwartz.co, E-L-I-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z dot C-O. And a special thanks to Previsible for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for support with all of your SEO needs, Previsible's integrated consulting model is there for you. They draw on a collective 40 years of SEO and digital marketing experience to help you unlock your organic search and growth opportunities. So join brands like Yelp, eBay, Canva, Atlassian, and Square, all who rely on SEO consultants at Previsible. For more information, go to previsible.io. That's P-R-E-V-I-S-I-B-L-E.io. And a special thanks to Ahrefs for sponsoring this podcast. Monitoring your website used to require multiple expensive tools, but that's not the case anymore thanks to Ahrefs because they just launched their Ahrefs Webmaster Tools product, which monitors your SEO health, helps you keep track of your backlinks, and gives you the insight into what keywords are performing for free. So check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash awt. That's Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S dot com, slash A-W-T. If you have general marketing questions or if you'd like to talk to me about this podcast, you can find my contact information in our show notes or you can send me a tweet at Ben J. Schapp, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you like this podcast and you want a regular stream of SEO and content marketing insights in your podcast feed, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Lastly, if you've enjoyed the show and you're feeling generous, we'd love for you to leave us a review in the Apple iTunes store or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, remember, the answers are always in the data.